I had a crazy experience recently that put my graciousness to the test and it wasn't somebody cutting me off and you know all kinds of road rage or anything. It wasn't like a neighbor getting mad at me and screaming in my face. It wasn't an angry former churchgoer telling me off and pointing out all my failures. It was way worse than all that. You see, I went to the DMV. My son Cade had turned 16 back during the quarantine and so we set up an appointment for him to get his permit and it took forever to finally be able to get there but we waited on the first line for the next line and when we finished that line we filled out some paperwork and got back on the same line and then we went on another line to wait for our number to be called and the number was called and we were told to go to counter 27 but alas we could not find counter 27 anywhere. Then as time is is ticking and you're kind of like sweating a little bit because you don't want to miss your opportunity at the counter after you've waited for like these four hours, we, we realized around a bend and across the way was counter number 27. And so we made our way over there just in time for our number to be expired and another number to be called. And so the lady helped someone else. And then as we waited there, kind of like, you know, when you kind of try to make your your presence a little bit obvious, like I'm right here so you could help me next, she she didn't buy that. And she took two more people. And finally we got up to that counter and we're told we were told to go to the wrong counter. So we had to go way back in the sit down line and wait for our another number to be called. And we got up and finally made it there. And by the time we got to the right place, I was anything but gracious. I mean, I was sort of a little bit nice-ish just because I had to be, but I did not feel gracious. And this is everyday life, right? We face this kind of stuff all the time, don't we? And the definition of gracious is courteous, kind, and pleasant. And as I said a couple weeks ago, that's great and wonderful. Our world needs that, but we got to go so much deeper, right? The biblical definition for gracious is showing divine grace. And especially in the Old Testament, it referred to God's favor, his mercy, his patience, and his kindness. And this is the kind of graciousness we're talking about. But we struggle with this, don't we? And some of the ways we struggle to be gracious is we struggle to associate with people who don't think like us or live like us. Like this, that's a whole people group that we need to be gracious to, people who don't think like us or live like us. But it's really hard for us sometimes to do that, isn't it? Another struggle that we have is is treating people in a way that they don't deserve, right? It's easier to just cut them off from our life because they lied about us or gossiped about us or or took so-and-so's side. But what would it look like for you and I to associate with people who don't think like us or live like us and treat people in a way that they don't deserve? This is so important to talk about because we are living in a world that's going mad and it's easy to kind of go ahead and get mad with it, right? It's easy to lose our witness right now. But what do we do? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad that you have found us here online. Welcome to Living Word Church online campus for this Sunday. And we're so thankful you're here. And I hope as you're listening in and you're thinking maybe through a skeptical lens, like, oh, come on, you're talking about Jesus and God and Christianity and all this stuff. I don't even believe in any of this. Well, today I hope you will see that you can believe in something that is very true and real, things that are not just fairy tales but concrete. And I also am probably speaking to some people here today that don't know if they could take Jesus seriously because they just assume they're too broken. Like, why is he going to want me? I'm such a mess. Well, today we're going to see how powerful this life-altering message is as we look to some kinds of a, a little bit of a strange place, honestly, that we're going to learn to be gracious today. And as we're getting closer and closer to Christmas, if this was in the school today, we probably would have been able to set up some of the Christmas decorations by now. And you'd be sitting in there looking at some Christmas decorations, feeling a little bit Christmassy. And we're going to be able to look to this almost 
Christmassy type theme here today, but but it's a little bit of a strange place to find a theme of graciousness, but it is strewn throughout what we're going to see here today. And we're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus. It says in Matthew 1.1, you guys can read along in your app, open up your Bible, and you can read along. Matthew 1.1, Jesus is kind of introduced here and it says, this is the, ge- the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. And we're going to learn a powerful lesson from this genealogy. You see, the truth is this, the genealogy of Jesus is a lineage of grace. You want to talk about graciousness? You want to talk about Jesus associating with people and or coming from people, a line of people who were a mess and were broken? That's what we're going to see here today. And a bunch of people who ended up being treated in a way they did not deserve. You see, genealogies and lineages are important, right? Lines of fathers and mothers and sons and daughters are important. I've told you guys many times that my son and I, Kate, are painting the outside of the house. Actually, we finished. We finished, everybody. I got one little spot up on the roof. That's going to be a spring thing. But the, if you were just a normal person walking around my house, it's looking nice and done. I'm so thankful for that. But as we were painting, we'd have neighbors kind of coming by joking like, hey, come to our house next. And somebody said, hey, why don't you guys start up a company? So one day, Kate and I were kind of joking about this. I said, hey, man, man, we got a side business here. We'll open up a company. And uh, my, son, my younger son, Landon, was sitting outside watching us paint watching us paint. We were painting. He was watching. And so I looked at Landon and said, what do you think, buddy? What if we start a painting company? We'll call it Jansen and Sons. And he just looks right back at me, looks at Katie, goes, Jansen and Son. I was like, oh, all right. I see how it is. You see, that's the glorious Jansen lineage right there, right? But we're going to learn some powerful things about being gracious and about the God who is gracious through a lineage today. And so it goes on and says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So it says, Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, Jesus, of course, is not the actual son of David or Abraham. It's just saying he came from their line. But let's talk about Abraham for a minute. You see, this is the guy who believed God for some great things, but also lied and told Pharaoh that his wife was his sister because he was afraid that Abraham would be killed and his wife would be taken if he told the truth. This is the same guy who laughed in unbelief when God promised a child. So let's just start with the very first name in the genealogy of Jesus. We have a broken person and Jesus comes from this line. Now, Jesus is not broken, but isn't interested that he associates and comes from this line of people who are. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac's name means he will laugh. What's that referencing? It's referencing the fact that his father laughed when he was told he'd have a son in his old age. And so nothing like being named after your father's failure. It goes on, Isaac, the father of Jacob. We've talked a lot about Jacob in the last month or so at church. Jacob's the guy who tricked and lied to his brother and basically lied him out of a birthright, birthright and a blessing. Also the guy who slept with many women in effort to give his wife and his wives children. And then it says, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Well, Judah, we talked about just a few weeks ago, sold his brother Joseph into slavery. Guys, these are the kinds of people that are in the line of Jesus. This is who Jesus came from. Again, he is not broken. He is perfect and holy and blameless. But these are the types of people from which he came and maybe just to whom he came. Verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Well, why bring Tamar up? Because it was so scandalous. Why include her name in the genealogy of Jesus? Because this was a huge scandal. Tamar was the widowed daughter-in-law of Judah. She disguised herself as a prostitute and tricked Judah into impregnating her and giving her a son who would tie her to her dead husband's family. 
which means these guys that I just read here in the genealogy, Perez and Zara, Tamer, Tamer was their mom, but also technically their sister-in-law. Is the hair on anybody else's neck standing up? Wow. Before we go any further, is anybody else seeing what a messed up, broken line Jesus came from? Think about it. These were the people he was associated with in his genealogy. Is that hitting you yet? The broken person that maybe you and I are and Jesus associating with us. The broken people that were in this line, yet the graciousness that our Savior showed by even coming from this line. Is that hitting your heart yet? If not, it's okay. We're going we're to keep going. Then we read about a few here. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Now, we don't have anything scandalous to say about these guys. I know. What a disappointment, right? We all want the tea on all these people. But there's nothing we know of that's scandalous about them. But then we go on. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Here's another name here just kind of thrown in. Why bring up Rahab? Why bring up Tamar? Because they were scandalous. And this is a story of grace and the graciousness of God. You see, Rahab was a Gentile prostitute who ended up helping Joshua's spies as they went to scout out the land. And her life was spared, and then her heart was transformed by the grace of God. And listen, she is named in Hebrews 11, Pastor Ravon brought that up last week in his message, this Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith chapter as Rahab the prostitute. And listen, this Canaanite prostitute under the laws of Moses would not have been allowed in Jewish community, except for the fact she was shown grace. What an incredible transformation. Unbelieving prostitute to the faith hall of fame because of the graciousness of God. Then it goes on, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth's another story of redemption, right? We looked at that this summer at the drive-in services. It's this picture of grace, this picture of Jesus. Ruth was gracious to Naomi, and Boaz was gracious to Ruth. He redeemed her and made her his own. That's a picture of Jesus redeeming you and I, making us his own, associating with people that don't think or live like him, treating people in a way they don't deserve. How are you doing with that? How am I doing with that? Are we willing to associate with people who don't live or think like us? Are we treating people in a way they don't deserve? Who is God bringing to your heart right now? Now, Ruth, as a Moabite, wouldn't have even been permitted into the temple to worship under the laws of Moses, but she was shown grace. It goes on, Obed, the father of Jesse. We don't have any juicy information on Obed or Jesse, but it's going to get real juicy in verse 6. It says, And Jesse, the father of King David, many of us are familiar with this, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, that's phrased in a really kind of strange way. It says that David's father, David was the father of Solomon, but the mother was Uriah's wife. Why doesn't it say David's wife? Oh, that's right, because David saw Uriah's wife and lusted after her and had her brought to him and slept with her and impregnated her and then to cover it up had to make sure that Uriah was murdered on the front lines of battle. Doesn't it seem like the Bible goes way out of its way, like God goes out of his way to highlight the brokenness that Jesus was associated with and the people that were treated in a way they did not deserve. How are we doing with that? Solomon. Solomon had his own issues, right? He had hundreds of wives and concubines. Then it says in verse 7, Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam lost much of his kingdom to rebellion in the civil war. 
Rehoboam, the father of Abiha, had many of the same sins as his father and his grandfather. Abiha, the father of Asa, who was overall righteous but oppressive and angry at times. And then it says, then we have Shaq, the son of Jordan. No, I'm just kidding. I just I made that up. I'm, that's not in there. I'm playing around. Just seeing if you're still paying attention. It says Asa in verse 8. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was overall righteous, but he did allow some idolatry and teamed up with some wicked kings at times. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. I can't even say that one. Jehoram killed his six brothers to secure his place in the kingdom. And you thought your kids were messed up because they fight over the last cinnamon Pop-Tart, right? Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah started out strong, but ended up with his pride destroying him. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham was righteous to a point, but again, allowed idol worship. Jotham, the father of Ahaz, he was an evil king and worshiped and sacrificed to foreign gods. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, a good and godly king. One of the very few in this line of Jesus. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was a messa. <laughs> this dude was a total mess. Occultic rituals killed his own son in a ritualistic fire. Eventually, listen to me, God had grace on Manasseh in a time of great crisis when he turned to God and turned from his sin. Another story of God's graciousness. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon had the same mistakes of his father, but none of the repentance and none of the right decisions. Amon, the father of Josiah. Again, another few of the good godly kings. Eight years old, started reigning at eight years old. Verse 11, and Josiah, the father of Jeconia, and his brothers at the times of the exile to Babylon. Jeconia was cursed by God and removed from kingship because of his evil heart. Verse 12, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconia was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, like that one? We got a lot of pregnant couples in the church. I'm thinking that's a wonderful name. If you're looking for a pretty name, I just dropped that one in your lap. Don't thank me, it's what I do, all right? But Shealtiel was exiled to Babylon, Shiltiel, the father of Zerubbabel, another wonderful baby name, but he was the man. Zerubbabel, man, he led the charge to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem, and this guy loved God and was a powerful leader. Again, one of the very few. And then, listen, there is a group of nine in this lineage we don't know anything about. And so I'm going to skip to verse 16, and we finally get to Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Joseph and Mary. Even they had an appearance of a scandal, even though it wasn't a scandal, right? All of a sudden, Mary is pregnant, and she claims it is from the Holy Spirit, this supernatural birth. And of course, we're going to think that one through. Like, how's that going to go if you try to tell your fiance and his family and your friends in the community that, oh no, God did this, right? Obviously, not everybody's going to believe you, but thankfully, God took care of everything. And Joseph gets this divine message that Mary is trustworthy and this really was God. But why, if you're bringing the perfect Savior into the world, do you associate him with all this brokenness, this scandal? It goes on. Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Here we have the innocent, blameless, pure, holy Son of God coming to earth in all this brokenness. Why? First off, because this really happened. Because it's real, right? If you're a skeptic here today, this is great news. Otherwise, why include all the scandal? Why include all the brokenness and all the gross stuff? If you're making this up, you don't not you don't write a fairy tale like this, right? You don't write uh, a, a perfect savior coming to the world in the midst of all this brokenness and messed up stuff unless it really happened. Because Jesus, with the exception, was the exception in the Bible. All the other heroes had some really bad days and most made really bad 
decisions. The easiest way to say it, Jesus came from a line of real and broken people. Great news to the skeptic. These people lived in the same world we do, and so did Jesus, and he came for us. Also, great news for the broken. Someone can relate to you. All these people get you. They have walked where you walked. They've felt what you felt. They've failed where you and I have failed, and they've been on the receiving end of somebody else's failures, just like you and me. And so why all this brokenness? Well, what beauty God brought when he chose to bring God from a line of broken people. Can I just give you a compiled list of everything that we just looked over in this last time together? Ready? There were a few good men and women in that line. There were several no names in the line. But then, you ready for this? We've got liars, doubters, polygamists, guys who sell their own brothers into slavery, incestuous relationships, a prostitute whose life was redeemed, a Gentile woman whose life was redeemed, a murderer, adulterer, womanizers, oppressive leaders, angry leaders, idolaters, occultists, and several exiled to Babylon. That's the line of Jesus. That's who he associated with. The people who paved the way for the coming of Jesus were the most broken you could find. Now listen, this is really important. You ready? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we get to your heart. How you react to this tells you and I a lot about you and I. You see, it tells us a lot about if we're gracious or not. If you're hearing all this and you're going, ew, what a mess. Why did God bring Jesus through them? That's one thing. You probably struggle with being gracious. But if you hear all this, listen to me, and you go praise God, praise God for his mercy and his grace because I need that same grace, then you and I are on the path to being a grace carrier, to being a gracious person like our Savior. Now listen, some of you guys might say, Doug, it sounds like you're compromising. You're all about grace. You're leaving out holiness and the godly life. Listen, if you listen back over the last year to the messages that we've done at church, we have talked about aiming at a holy life, a godly life. We've talked about purity. We've talked against gossip and jealousy and anger and hate and vengeance and pride and fear and doubt and on and on I could go. So it is in balance to talk about being gracious. If we zoom out at the whole year, we find this gracious message in partnership with all those other ones where we talk about standing out and being the people of God and being bright, shining lights, right? But if ever in our lifetimes we needed to be centered back around being gracious, it's right now. Because we are so off course from this, aren't we? And so spending a few weeks on this is a healthy thing and it's in balance with where we've been the rest of the year. We also have to remember, everybody, rules are great. We so badly need them. I'm so thankful for rules. They have protected me and my kids. I've got rules in my house. They're important. We've got rules at our church. They're important. We've got rules in our nation. They're important. And they help us grow. And they give us understanding what to aim at. And when we look at godly rules, we understand what pleases God. And that's a huge deal. But listen, rules don't save us. Grace does. When all is said and done, grace wins the day. And so the line of Jesus is full of a bunch of people who did things that God was not okay with. And listen, there are consequences for our sin. We know that, right? We, we don't pretend that's not true. But here's a God of grace who brings a savior through this broken line. So here's what I want you guys to think about and take with you today. Jesus comes from a line of broken people and to a world 
of broken people. He comes from a line of broken people, but to a world of broken people because he is gracious. And the genealogy of Jesus perfectly leads to our gracious Savior. It's a genealogy of grace. I love that his line is not of this religious perfection. Right? I think we're in a world where everybody wants this royal pedigree right, and this faultless image of generations and generations of people. But how beautiful instead it is that Jesus came from broken people to broken people. So how do we respond to this? Be gracious. Be like him. You've received so much grace, so have I. We've got to be willing to associate with people that don't live like us or think like us or even agree with us. Now listen, we don't do this to our downfall, right? We don't, I want to encourage you, don't begin a ministry to you know, alcoholics or something like that. If you struggle with that too, and it would make you stumble, don't start a ministry to uh, you know, an anti-gossip group if that's your biggest struggle in life. You're probably just going to get pulled back into it. We have to be wise here. We need support for those things that we struggle with ourselves. But for those areas of our lives where we can handle it, We need to associate with people who don't think like us or live like us. Jesus was the master at this. And think about it. His association with those people wasn't just when he walked the earth. It started thousands of years before when he was associated through his genealogy with people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David. His very lineage is divinely chosen to be in association with the worst of the worst. And we often disassociate with people like that, don't we? That's not the way of Jesus. If he had disassociated with people who didn't think or live like him, then not one of us would have a relationship with him. So we got we to gotta associate with those who don't think or live like us, who don't believe like us. It's so important. And we got to treat people in a way they don't deserve. Oh, he doesn't deserve grace because he gossiped about me. She doesn't deserve grace because they lied about she lied about me. He doesn't deserve grace because took their side, not mine. That all may be true, but we've got to treat people in a way that they don't deserve because we've been treated in a way we don't deserve. I mentioned before, Rahab is mentioned in the Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith chapter, right? Hebrews chapter 11. Do you know who else is? Abraham, the liar doubter. Isaac, the man named after his father's failure. Jacob, the liar cheater. David, the adulterer. Murderer. Not one of them deserves to be in the hall of fame slash faith, and yet there they are because God is gracious and treats people in a way that they don't deserve. We need to imitate him, even when it comes to our enemies. In 1944, there was a man named Bert Frizen. He was an infantryman for the American army in the front lines of Europe, and he and the American forces were advancing. There was crazy gunfire going on. There were bombs going off all around them, but it had all quieted down. And Bert was a scout. He was supposed to find if the route was safe or not. And so Bert went ahead and began to search out the route and look to see if they should move forward. And as he did, the Germans who were hiding in the bushes opened fire and shot him in both legs. He laid there helplessly in a stream with no way out as the bullets kept flying over his head. Suddenly, he sees a German soldier crawling toward him and he begins to think, this is it. He closes his eyes and waits to be shot or stabbed or whatever. Time passes. A little more time passes and he still is alive and he opens up his eyes and he sees the German soldier kneeling by his side, smiling at him, not saying a word. The shooting stopped from both sides 
And everyone watched as this German soldier reached down, picked up Bert, put him over his shoulder, and carried him to safety back to the American line without a word. German soldier walked back to his own troop, and everyone stood there in silence. Bert's life was saved through compassion of his enemy. This gracious act pictures what Jesus did for us and what we need to do for others. I wonder how many of our enemies we could carry across the field, so to speak, to Jesus. I want you to think and pray about that. Who doesn't think like you? Who doesn't live like you? But you need to associate with them for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of reaching them. Who needs to be treated in a way that they don't deserve, just like you and I have been, for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're watching along, man, again, thank you for watching. And I pray today that if you've been watching through skeptical eyes, you've seen how real this all is. This is true. This happened with all the blemishes and brokenness right there in the midst of the story. And if you've been looking through a different lens of your brokenness, thinking there's no way God would want you, I hope you see today Jesus associates with people that don't think or live like him, and he treats people in a way they don't deserve, even the worst of the worst and the most broken. He's done that for me, and he wants to do that for you. If you want to put your trust in him today, I'd love for you to pray with me in a minute. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I hope you're reminded of the grace you've been shown today, and you will pass that along, and you will be gracious, because Jesus comes from a line of broken people into a world of broken people. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much that we got to, even it's though it's in a little bit of a different way here in my basement, we got to talk today and center our hearts and minds around the truth that you are gracious and good and that you associate with people who don't live or think like you and you treat people in a way that, you, that they do not deserve. And I pray for help with that, God. There are people in my life that I need to be gracious toward and they don't live or think like me. And they certainly don't deserve to be treated that way, but help me be gracious. Help me pick them up in the midst of their brokenness and carry them across the field to you, Lord. Would you pray about that if you're a follower of Jesus? And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him today, I encourage you to pray with me now. You could just say something like this with me right now, right wherever you are. Say this to Jesus. Jesus, thank you for wanting me. Thank you for treating me in a way I don't deserve. Thank you for associating with me, someone who's far from you right now. And I pray you'll show me what it looks like to be yours. And I thank you that I'm loved by you and forgiven by you. And I thank you for the grace you've shown me and the gracious way you've treated me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, for rising back from the dead to make me your own. In your name I pray, amen.